Hello and welcome to A Guest in the House. I'm Mickey Hess. I'm a white guy who grew up in Kentucky. I wrote some books about hip-hop and I teach a class on hip-hop. Awesome. And I am David Tromdig Shanks. Tromdig's in quotations. I always like seeing that in Tromdig Shanks. Like, Ooh, the AKA. Yeah, yeah when you're, that's yeah. like when you're a rapper turned actor and they just put the common in, you know what I mean? Although Ooh, common's yeah. common, though. He's an exception common's to that common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Tromdig's Shanks, I'm a writer and MC from Brooklyn, New York. Hip-hop lifer, hip-hop junkie. Potting with my main man. And kind here of, we are, yeah, a we, guest in the house. Guest in the house. Yeah. Now, I do want to shout out Anthony Sergi as our producer, and the music you heard as the theme song is all Trom Diggs. It is. Which song is that? I don't know. Ah, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think it's Saks Fifth Avenue Flow, and apparently it changes, says the producer. Does it? It's Anthony, rotating. But it's probably going to be me anyway. Okay. So let's just say shout out to Trom yeah. Diggs for doing shout the music. Shout out to Trom Diggs yeah. for the music. <laughs> All the music you hear on this episode awesome. is Trom Diggs. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What's going on, Mickey? So this week, you know, I think we got to talk about, in terms of being a guest in the house of hip-hop, we got to talk about No Name. I like that topic. Yeah. I, I thought like you would. Topic. I thought yeah. you would. See, yeah. No Name, if people don't know, she said, I believe it was last week. Well, who is No Name? Okay, who is No Name? She's a young black hip-hop star and poet from Chicago. Yes. And she's, I would call her a rising star. Yeah, first got her, I think the first time we heard her was on um, Chance the Rapper's Acid Rap I believe project. that's right. Yep. Yeah, so she said a couple weeks ago on Twitter that she wished now do we know it's a couple weeks ago remember we're in podland we are in podland this could drop in march so one day one day (laughs) while while (laughs) while combing the twitter sphere we found some tweets from no name podcast present that's what we got yeah so yeah yeah, no name tweeted that she wished more black folks would come to her show and she said that she was tired of performing for predominantly white crowds because she ultimately felt like she was dancing on stage for white people who may be more committed to just being entertained by black art than they are for standing up for black people. Do we have the tweets? Because we there's one the tweet tweets. I loved about the um, going to her job and hearing white people scream nigger at her all day. Oh, I yeah. loved that tweet. Yeah, there it was November 30th when I go to work. Thousands of white people scream the word blank at me. And no, I'm not changing my art, so it is what it is. Catch me at No Name Books. You know, another thing she said is that uh, she started this whole book club, and nobody's really talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> like she's yeah. not getting uh, nearly the shine for, for her efforts for the community as she is for this one tweet, which a lot of people are taking out of context. I mean, No Name certainly never said, I don't want white fans. I don't want I, white people to come to my show. She I never didn't said hear that. No, never said. Well, I didn't read that at all. No, she said it's complicated and complex to be a black star performing for predominantly white crowds, mm-hmm. and that's a very different statement. Mm-hmm. Now, why would that be complicated? Um, to some folks in the audience, maybe it's not so complicated, right? Maybe you never had to think about this kind of thing much, but. There's a legacy of this horrible popular cultural phenomenon known as the minstrel show. Mm. And if you don't know the legacy of that, you've seen it in the grocery store. Uh, if you go down the Pancake Island, you see the Aunt Jemima pancake syrup and pancake mix. That's a little vestige of the era of minstrelsy. So um, Aunt Jemima was actually a common character in a lot of these minstrel shows. She played... Uh, the house slave, the mammy. Um, there was an actual character named Aunt Jemima that was on a lot of these variety shows. If you've ever seen anything about blackface performance, that's straight from the era, era of minstrelsy. Mm. So if you don't know that history, you've probably witnessed it in some old Bugs Bunny cartoons <laughs> or, or the pancake aisle at your grocery store. Yes. You may not be entirely aware of what a cultural phenomenon this was. This was uh, a major mainstream form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, these shows were wildly popular, um, originated with white actors, dancers, singers on stage wearing burnt cork to black themselves up as a mockery or a caricature of what it meant to look like an African-American. Right. 
Um, and then there were black menstrual troops. Right. Um, which a little tidbit of fact that a lot of people don't know is that the black minstrels also typically had to wear blackface. Oh, because you're not black enough. You're not <laughs> black enough. You're not cartoonishly black, right? right? right which, yeah. which tells you right there that you're right. not really seeing much of a representation of black identity or right. black life, right? right? Right, Even the black performers have to paint their faces And they still black. are, metaphorically. Metaphorically. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by metaphorically. Um, you will find, and many actors um, in modern-day times have spoke of, you know, the caricature of yeah. the black, you know, character. And so you go into a um, audition or something like that, speaking and carrying yourself one way, articulating one way, and it's like, oh, come on, man, I, I need more. I need a little more, you know, black. Yeah. <laughs> so Amplify the yeah, blackness. Amplify the blackness, whatever okay. that, you know, very finite, very, like, Mm-hmm. This is what black people, I'm doing my hands in the thing where you're boxed in, you know, sure. of what blackness is. And it's it's like the two or three things that make you black, you know, the jive talk or sure. slang in now or, you know, the walk or, you know, come on, man, the you know, voice. whatever. Yeah, 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 the voice, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there there's the phenomenon of people being told they're not black enough. Right. Barack Obama was certainly told that a few well, times. There's, there's uh, that. By critics ranging from, from Cornell West to Ben Carson. Or, yeah. right? So that's yeah. the one side of it. And then there's the, wow, he's really articulate because Ooh. there's like, you know, as a, he's an exception to blackness. Sure. So, that, you know, it's like black exceptionalism. So it's like, Oh, I didn't expect him to be that well-spoken. So there's the inverse, right? Exactly. If you get these stereotypes in your mind, now, the Mistral Show was pretty limiting in the way it presented what black life was. Correct. Right? Even though it claimed to be like an authentic representation of black life, the word real and true was thrown in a lot in the show titles. But it was about as far from reality as you could be. Correct. Right? Correct. I mean, number one, it presented slave plantation life as pretty lackadaisical, kind of happy-go-lucky. Correct. Correct. Now, common sense Correct. would tell you that that's simply not the case. Correct. Um, but but some of the identities that were afforded the, the menstrual show performers were sort of like the bumbling idiot, the lazy fool, right. um, the hypersexualized, dangerous, and violent black man. Correct. And, you know, there's a good book by Donald Bogle where he traces the way these characters carried over to Hollywood. Right. And how the menstrual show characters basically shifted right into film and television Correct. and radio. The, pimp, and the drug addict, the drug oh, yeah. dealer, the gangster. Which hip-hop has made a lot of money off of, Yo, right? Yeah, yeah. Bringing us right back to No Name's no tweets. Name. Yeah. I found it interesting. I think um, she's not the first black artist. No. You know what I mean? So there's that. Plenty of people have mentioned this. Yeah. Right? I think that this phenomenon, what's happening just in society in general, and you tell me if you... Sure. And we're old enough to have seen, you know, like the 90s and kind of grown up and seen that whole era. Things are starting to turn back around, right? So we're like in, you know, when um, President Obama became the president, there was this whole thing about like post-racial America, you know what I mean? And John McWhorter wrote The End of Racism. Right. right. And so, and then we had the rude awakening of, oh no, it's here. Oh yeah. And it's alive and kicking, right? And, and then now we're in like the backlash of that, which is kind of like woke America, you know what I mean? Where yeah. everyone's kind of like aware and everyone's, you know, either tweeting or, you know, we've got the social activism on Twitter and, you know, everybody's kind of coming into this awareness that there's a lot going on in this country that needs to be addressed. You know what I mean? Obviously, we're nowhere near the 60s or anything like that in terms of protest music or protest art or... But we are finding that there is a backlash to, like, what's going on in the last, say, 10 to 15 years. Again, we're moving into a new decade, so I guess that makes sense, right? So we're kind of coming into a space where there's kind of now a backlash to, like, the excessive, like, whatever this decade has been in terms of just art and just, like, gratuitous, just 
nothingness like just yeah. literally mumble rap right like yeah. so now we're seeing these young artists black and white whether it's feminism whether it's you know racial pride or you know there's a whole kind of groundswell of like these artists and so this is a byproduct of this and so now you know what maybe Erica Badu or you know I mean yeah they um I, I seen one meme where um they showed the um Erica Badu video I think it's uh Love of My Life the one where she's talking about hip-hop and yeah. they show her like in the video she's performing and then they f pan out into the crowd and like she's you know doing the turntable she's got the whole thing going on and it's an entire crowd of white kids white dressed you know sure. like hip-hop and so that commentary has existed for a while but I think this tweet and this kind of backlash from this tweet from No Name is kind of like the first in this generation of an artist coming, you know, to that awareness of, hey, wait a minute, this is weird. And she's taking it to the next level by by promising to take action. Yeah. You know, if she's going to have to perform for predominantly white crowds, she's going to retire. Well, and I think there's two things going on here. Yeah. So... You know, the easy thing is to say, what's wrong with you? Get your money, <laughs> shut up, stop complaining, whoever, it doesn't matter who's, you know, coming to your shows as long as you're able to perform your art. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure, and speaking as an artist, right, I'm sure she's doing better than me in terms of my shows. I haven't performed in ages. You can just pick but, up her audience. Right. So, you know, there's that, like, hey, look, I love to be packing out 1500 seaters and sure. you know what I'm saying 2000 yeah. seaters I don't care if it's blue people in there as long as I'm able to do my art and Absolutely. make a living it's a blessing so don't you know don't look a gift horse in the mouth I'm sure and I'm I when we get into some of the tweets that came from the fans in, oh, yeah. in response that's kind of you know the rhetoric yeah, don't getting. bite the hand that feeds you, exactly. right? And we've heard that same kind of quote from, yes. from John Karamanica to yes. uh, Solange, Solange correct. a couple of years correct. ago. Correct, correct. So there's a lot about that. And then, you know, it's it's layered because then that gets into, you know, oh yeah, white fragility and, Absolutely. you know, <laughs> and things of that nature, which we'll all address in, you know, in this context. But I think, one, we have to, listen to no names actual music yeah don't right? just know her for this one tweet so this isn't like i don't know little uzi vert yeah. saying like i make my music for black people and you know like she's a very socially conscious very aware very sure. smart brilliant young lady with political commentary littered throughout her music so this is not like she's literally speaking of the black experience in her music absolutely and so that's to be understood and assumed that it would be weird yeah. to not get the support of the people she's literally talking to. Absolutely. And um, this, you're getting the support of people at your shows who you're not sure if they really support you. Yes. You know, they just like the music, they just like the beat. Then yeah. there's, and I think the biggest part of this is the fans, the white fans of hip-hop, using the word in the shows, repeating the word sure. back to the performer. And a lot of white folks do that as if they're totally oblivious to the fact that it could offend someone. It's, I think in many ways, and I can't speak for any young white fans of hip-hop because I am not one, but um, it seems to be like a badge of honor to be able to use this one word in the concert it's yeah. it feels like a birthright or so of okay. some sorts like a rites of passage or something where they're able to and when i go to this show and it's twenty thousand of us i'm going to yell it yeah that's and my one wait. point that i can say it yeah and it'll be okay yeah even though people keep saying it's not okay yeah right? and it's like i freestyled on the radio you know, however many times yeah. FCC rules and had to edit myself and I can rip through my rhyme and just pull out all the words, oh, four letter man. words, and I'm able to edit my own rhymes. So it's not difficult. No, I think white fans could do it. Oh, I think a lot of them choose that's not That's my point, to, right? And I that's think my you're right. point. So now that's where it gets weird. 
Because it's like, if I'm asking you just to do that. Just skip that word. Just, hey, look, I'm rapping. You're rapping along with me. You get to that word. Just don't say it, Just leave it out. Just leave it alone. Just let it drop, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Vince Staples talked about this and left me up. He did. Um, Certainly, No Name is not the first person, not the first rapper to bring up this issue. And even with just this one word, I mean, it's... It's consistently amazing to me the uh, the property rights that yeah. white people want to feel this word. Like, how dare you say that there's a word in the English language that I can't say? Yeah. Um, I mean, you got to remember, like, the grand scheme of things. Like, this is the word that was the exclusive domain of whites for years and years and years. It right. was white invented. Right. It was a word that was designed to dehumanize, um, to indicate somebody was at best a second-class citizen. Right. So white people said it for years and years and years with absolute impunity until right. very, very, very recently. Right. Um, let me, let me yeah, ask for it. two things. Mm. As a fan of hip-hop, mm-hmm. and I guess I can get a gauge for how you feel about it, but just let's say it was... I don't want you guys at my shows. Sure. How would how does that make you feel? So I remember De La Soul on Balloon Mind State. This was 1993. They had this verse, this Pasa News verse, and he said, White boy Roy, can I feel it? But he's the first to try and steal it. Mm. Dilute it, pollute it, kill it. And I love that album. <laughs> and I love De La Soul. Right. And I bought tickets to see De La Soul on that tour after I haven't heard that. Right. But I think I almost compartmentalized it a little bit. Like, mm. yeah, that's that's kind of an odd position for me as a white listener to this band that, to say at the very least, is very aware of the complexities here. Right. That they have quite a few white fans. Right. I mean, I think De La Soul was a big crossover hit from their first album. Um, they undoubtedly had a legion of white fans. And, you know, the times I've seen them in concert fairly white crowd right I, i'd venture to say the white fans are keeping them afloat Possibly. today at least in the u.s yes right? yes yeah. and if they're going overseas there's no black people so <laughs> basically yes and overseas be, is where be. they're making their bread That's true. right now so yeah i mean they're not you're not playing to an all-black audience in hamburg yeah <laughs> but, but you know i think i had the sense too even hearing that to, to think like well they're not telling me they don't want me to listen no you know they're maybe saying like why don't you think about it a little right bit, you know right. and that's what i had to do i kind of compartmentalized it at first and thought like well i don't know quite what to make right of that. but you know and it's what we talked about originally and the entire theme of this show your guess sure there's rules you gotta play by the house rules and it doesn't have to be extreme rules. I no. don't think don't scream nigga to me when I'm rapping is an extreme <laughs> rule. I don't think that's too much to ask. That's like Fair someone compared it to, um, you know, don't step on my couch. Sure. Don't, you know what don't I mean? Put your and feet just, on my yeah, couch. and just not being able to resist coming into my living uh, room and jumping on my couch. Sure. You know, that I'm not asking too much. And that was part of that Eminem verse where he responded to the metaphor that yeah. Lord Jamar pr- first put out of white yeah. folks being a guest in the house of hip hop. He said, like, put my feet all up. You know, I'll come in the house, put my feet up. So I think that's a good comparison. The idea that just this one rule, right? Keep your feet off the furniture. Don't say the N word when you're rapping along. So I got a couple tweets here, right? In okay. response. Racism and stupidity. That's what the world needs. Wait, they, we need racism and stupidity? No, that's a, you know, that's a um, white fan being sarcastic okay. and saying, that, you know, mm. good because it's reverse racism now oh, that yeah. she's saying she that it's problematic that mm. her audiences are all white. I, get, I grew up listening to hip hop. Mm. It was life. I grew up in SLC, wherever that is. Salt which Lake is, City. No, <laughs> you have to ask the a white black guy. guy wouldn't know right? that. SLC. <laughs> Which City. is predominantly white. No sure. shit. All the <laughs> underground artists came through here and blessed us with their music, mm-hmm. and we supported it, and it didn't matter the race. It united us. No name. Hashtag. Sure. Again, the, when we get into these spaces, it, I feel like there's such an awesome opportunity to have really great layered conversation 
about race in our country until someone takes it personally all the time it gets yeah. taken personally and then it's personalized and we never get to the actual point sure you grew up listening to hip-hop it was life mm -hmm. you grew up in salt lake city it's predominantly white all the underground artists came through here and blessed you with their music and it united us hmm. and that has what to do with her tweet united what all the white people oh, everyone because <laughs> it was predominantly white yeah. so i don't know who else was being united that's a good point yeah. but it united i guess mm. the underground artists and the audience so it's very presumptuous for a white person to ever say, don't make this about race. And that's that's a comment you hear from a lot of white people to say like, oh, come on, not everything's about race. Don't make this about race. Well, for white people, that's a pretty simple thing, right? You live most of your life without ever really having to think about it if you don't choose to, right? You won't really teach, you won't really see many in the way of classes to take that really confront the racist histories of America. Um, it's not likely to really follow you around to family conversations or school conversations. If you don't want to think much about race as a white person, that's kind of part and parcel of white privilege. Mm. But for a white person to say to a person of color, this is not about race. Why? How dare you make this about race? No name is one of many that are part of a reverse racism movement mm. against innocent white people that just want to go out and have fun. Give up your desperate and silly act. <laughs> now it's a movement. Okay, so there's an insurrection afoot of reverse racism. <laughs> there's no... And I would ask this person. So there's no like context within which you could see where a black artist performing black art could find it an adjustment of sorts to perform their music for all white audiences, especially an artist with politically and socially charged music. Yeah, that's a real like that's, blind spot. That, you there, can't man. see that? Wow, that's a good way to put and it. And then right? it becomes about you being attacked. That's what I don't understand. Where does the attack come from? Sure. I'm expressing myself... It's sad that this young, she's 23, 23, that she would consider quitting Yeah, the thing she loves to do, the thing she's probably been honing for however many years she's been honing it, mm -hmm. because it gets to a point where it's like, I didn't do this for that. You can't empathize at all. No. Here's where we, our first episode. Mm -hmm. Remember, I said, I'm going to remember you saying this. You cannot, and I heard someone say this the other day, too. I can't remember who. You cannot love the music and not love the people. So if you're so into hip-hop and hip-hop culture, you're so into hip-hop and hip-hop culture that you would follow this artist, you would buy tickets to the show, you would go to the show, you're a fan you're a consumer. You don't get why that why she has a problem with that. Yeah. You can't understand that. So that means you don't understand her music. Absolutely. And that means you don't understand hip hop. And where does where exactly is the reverse racism they're pointing out? Right? She didn't say I don't want white people at my shows. She didn't say white people shouldn't go to shows. Not at all. You know, she said I'm disappointed. I feel awkward. I feel like it's problematic to perform in front of a crowd that's predominantly white. Um, and remember, again, it was in context of her saying, you know, I really want more of my black supporters to show I, up at my I, show. I thought it was an indictment on her black fans. That's where it started, I didn't think right? it had anything to Yeah. Well, you see that knee-jerk reaction from the white fans, though. And, and you used the term white fragility before. Um, I believe we used that on the podcast before. Uh, if people aren't aware, that comes from Robin DiAngelo. She's got a book called White Fragility, preceded by an article a few years back. But uh, white fragility is basically those knee-jerk, defensive moves that white people make. You know, the most common one is, well, I'm not racist. How dare you call me a racist? How dare you make this about race? 100%. You hurt my feelings. And I think it's really awesome that my co-host is also the fact checker. The fact checker. Yeah, that is really cool. <laughs> but... Yeah, I just, I, that's 
that's the thing. And so that's the frustrating mm. thing, speaking as a black man. That's the frustrating thing. I don't think we can ever get to the actual conversation because we can never get past you being butthurt about someone <laughs> possibly saying something about you. And it's like, oh, we're yeah. not talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> White folks have a pretty thin skin when it comes to talking about race. It's weird. It really is. Um, we tend to feel attacked. We tend to feel cornered, right? There's a lot of bad history there. And, and again, you know, white folks are not asked to think about it very much. Yeah. And it's not fun to think about. No. It's I mean, not it would suck. It would yeah. suck. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it would suck. But it that's the problem (laughs) it's a lot easier to say you know how dare you bring this up i don't like to think about this why are you making this about race why are you attacking me um even the the notion of reverse racism you know there are different takes on this certainly but but for the most part i think a lot of folks agree that it's a myth there's really no such thing as reverse racism if we're talking about racism in terms of institutional racism or systemic racism or racist policies that drive the systems of education and prisons and the courts and real estate and banking and mortgages in this country. Um, If you want to talk about reverse racism, where do you see it in practice? Mm. And I don't just mean in conversation. I mean in policy. Mm. Um, Where do you see white people really being excluded? And probably Mm. a lot of people are going to say, well, college admissions. Well, right. You know, then we'd have to have a discussion about what racism actually is yeah which i think we've completely missed the mark on it so they go you're a a a racist yeah because you're mad about what happened to your people Hmm. okay and if you bring that up that's reverse racism right yeah you shouldn't be mad because me being upset Mm. at whatever may have been done to my forefathers and foremothers even if i don't appropriately express it let's say i say something like really dumb about it sure um it still didn't prevent you from like getting a job or (laughs) a loan at wells fargo or you know like any like that's not racism no could be ignorance could could be prejudice prejudice could be bigotry could be hatred it's not racism nothing no. happened to you so we want <laughs> to define racism as a result racism, of how i feel we want to define racism as a practice it's an ism it's an ism <laughs> it's a system it's a series of laws correct. and policies that disadvantage one race and advantage another correct yes. a systematic systematic exploitation or you know marginalization yeah. of a group based on yeah, and these definitions go back to H. Rap Brown or Kwame Torre back to uh, the 60s. The idea of overt and covert racism and individual racism versus systemic or institutional racism. You know, I can say something mean and hurt someone's feelings. That hurts. You know, the person walks away with a sting for sure or an injury based on some comment I made or some slur I used. Right. But say I'm a professor at the front of the classroom. Now I got some power. Right. You know, now I can actually bring my thinking into grading. Right. Right. You know, I don't like this kid because of how he looks, where he comes from, who he is. Maybe I'll get a C minus. Yeah. You know, and then that's some power. Yeah. Very minor power in the grand scheme of things, but certainly one that could set the stage for how someone's going to feel about themselves or be treated throughout their lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically that prejudice plus power. Yeah. You go on a job interview. <clears throat> Feedback is... Great guy, just, I don't know, he just, I don't think he'll fit in with us. Not my kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't. You don't know anyone like him. Sure. <laughs> Doesn't seem like he'd be part of the team. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I, you know, there's that. Yeah. There's that. And, wow, so we get into this space, and I started checking out, like, more tweets, because now I just mm-hmm. got, like, totally fascinated, right? So... There was um, an article, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but um, I think it was a New York Times article, and they were saying um, uh, 75% of the um, literature in New York City public schools are by white authors. Okay. I think it was 75%. If I'm wrong, um, we'll fact check on the um, 
upcoming episode, but I'm pretty sure it was 75%, right? Yeah. Problematic. Sure. If you know, especially the figures, which I'm sure we can easily find, of how many children of color are in public school systems in New York City. I'd venture to say it's the majority, right? Yeah. Feedback comes in. I'm reading the tweets. This literally doesn't matter at all. Good (laughs) books are good books, Hmm. and books don't have genders or races. Books don't have genders or races, huh? Interesting. So, and we're talking to the race reverse racism mm-hmm. mind so that's like you know the person who says i don't understand why you guys have black history month why do you need mm-hmm. a special month yeah because white people don't get a special month. there's no white history Come month. On, man. yeah i mean i would like a white history month because i feel like you know if you get one i should get one this is the thinking you hear a lot of people use and when yeah. i said i i'm speaking like as a hypothetical of example course. it's certainly not the way i think. of course of um, course the and other I way don't, to look and at i don't i don't want black history month i don't particularly subscribe to there needing to be a black history month because it should just be history well, it was never meant to stay in February, right? When Carter Woodson designed it, was a week. it, it was yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was meant to hopefully be a springboard, yeah, it was right? Supposed to get it into, and they just said, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's yeah. just make it a month and get you guys out of here. Yeah, let's do one. The month. shortest month too, and get, month. <laughs> get you guys out of here. And the coldest and month, as Chris Rock said, <laughs> just in case we want to have a parade. Right? Going I back, to Chris Rock is yeah. Nat X on yeah. Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, the shortest and coldest month becomes Black History Month. To the point that, you know, working at different universities I have over the years, there was a point I was trying to bring a black novelist to campus, and I believe it was in April. And they said, oh, yeah, he looks great. Let's use him for next Black History Month. Mm. And I thought, really? I mean, I I bring in a lot of guest speakers and, and never have I invited a white person and tried to get, you know, a little couple hundred dollars for a stipend and they said oh yeah great let's do march because that's the white people month so that's the other side of it is um as far as like funding for speaking at universities white folks seem to get 12 months Mm -hmm. but that one month of february for black history month that's the limit that's amazing let's hold the black guy yeah until the appropriate month and you know the rationale was we can get funding more easily then and, you know, that's that's really the problem, though, right? When you isolate a month as Black History Month, it kind of isolates all programs related to black folks. Oh, wow, this will be great for February. Let's save it for February. I've heard yeah. that so many times. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And that's academia. That's like, yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, folks who should be a little more well-read, yeah. right? Folks who should know a little bit more about this yeah. history. So, yeah, I mean, and that's so that becomes like the fight. You know, you're trying to Mm. optimally or, you know what I mean, you'd want a world where none of these things needed to be taken into account. Sure. It would just be, right? So, yes, books do not have races. Books do not have color. But when you're educating 60 to 65% or however many um, children of color are in the New York City public school system, and then you're giving them 75 or 80% books with white authors. You're making the assumption then that people don't write from their perspective. You're a writer. Sure. Are you writing from someone else's perspective? Any time you write? It's got to be mine. You can't like escape. It's 100% your world of sure. you, right? <laughs> And even for the white students, I mean, wouldn't it benefit them to hear more would diverse voices? If, if they did, they'd get why No Name had an issue. That And yeah, that's my that's point. <laughs> so, that's I mean, my point. that figure of 75% of the books being written by white authors, that, that just author versus reader obscures all the other folks involved in producing a book. Right. So the stats on the publishing industry, it's overwhelmingly white. Well, there's that too. I think some of the most recent stats I saw only about four to five percent of editors in corporate publishing in 2019 are black. Wow. So if you think about who's producing books, um, who's approving the books that get out there, who's approving the books that get used in the curriculum, 
who's approving those lists of summer reading books that kids are encouraged to go out and find and read over the summer. Um, if you have majority white folks in all these roles, all of a sudden you got 75% of the books in the library are all by white folks. Mm. And a lot of times it, it is done more out of ignorance than any kind of outright scheme on the part of white people. But historically, of course, there is a scheme, and there always has been. And uh, that idea of doing it out of ignorance isn't really much of an excuse after all these years. Wow. Wow. Okay, I'm reading something yeah. here from the New York City government. Um, in New York City public schools, 74.6% of black and Hispanic students attend a school with less than 10% white students. Mm -hmm. Additionally, 34.3% of white students attend a school with more than 50% white students. Mm -hmm. That sounds like pre-Brown versus the Board of Ed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Kozel called that first kind of school you mentioned an apartheid school. Yeah, 100%. He wrote a book called Shame of the Nation that came out just a couple years ago that really showed the the public schools or actually schools in general in America are as segregated as they were any time since 1968. And I would bet what's in my wallet that if we did mm -hmm. the ratio of the educators, it would flip. Oh yeah. There are very few, particularly black male teachers Correct. in public schools Correct. across the board. Very extremely few. You gave a stat regarding the amount of um, black male professors Black professors in general, yeah. on the tenure track, only about 6% nationwide. And um, black population in the U.S. is more around 18 19%. So you think that's that's about a third of where that representation should be. And you got to think that's problematic in all kinds of ways, and not only for students of color. And what do you think, what would you say the um, target audience for no-name music is? Oh, I would say a lot of college students. I would say... Probably mostly college, right? Yeah. Got to be eighteen to twenty-five. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's pretty much everybody's target and, audience, and so right? As a musician, who's, who's educating these kids? Where are they coming yeah. from? Mm. When they, you know, and and so it all of that speaks to where we are. Absolutely. Because um, they don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, and even it. as a professor, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine in California who's a white professor who ended up teaching an African-American lit class, and he was told there's nobody else to do it. You know, there, we don't have a person trained for this on faculty. Besides you, you have the most uh, publications and research in this topic, the most coursework in this topic on your mm -hmm. graduate level. So uh, it's either you or nobody. You know, <laughs> like, and I think a lot of white professors find themselves in that position where, right. I mean, yeah. ideally you'd push for, for your school to hire more professors yeah. of color, but then yeah. you got to get into well, budgets I mean, but, and deans I mean, and all that stuff. Then the question is, are professors of color being pushed out of the system or are there no, are there no professors of color trying to get into the tenure track? Me and you sit here yeah. and... We have conversations all the time. We're doing a podcast mm. together. I come, I speak to your class. You've written books. We've written in the same books. Sure. One could deduce that I'm capable oh, absolutely. of having <laughs> gone through, finished, got sure. a PhD, and why? You know yeah. what I mean? And so I have to take responsibility or I as a people oh, sure. have to take responsibility for that as well. And then bringing that back even to No Name, which I thought was the point of her quote-unquote rant. Mm. People saying, I, I read an article um, on you proxy. I think I shared that article mm. with you. And the, um, the brother was talking about like the disparity between like um, economics and, you know, how it's harder for... Um, black kids to you know afford to go to these shows and sure. yeah uh. but you know there are other artists who i'm sure get their share of black audiences i think one and of I'm, the commenters brought up the baby and, and i'm Stallion. sure their ticket sales oh yeah right so 
then there's still a matter of choice. Sure. And, but I guess what we need to understand is just what we said when we went into the education system. This is the same education system. The same oh, yeah. people that are being ed- educating the white kids are educating oh, the black kids in terms of what they want them to know. Mm-hmm. And so the black kids are just as ignorant to, you know, the context or the um, complexities of race in America as the white kids. And, you know, I see a lot of black professors at schools I've worked at, you know, overburdened because a lot of white professors will send black students to them. You know, why don't you mentor this kid? Right. And a lot of times they're overworked or, right. you know, maybe they just don't like the kid. Right. You know, maybe right. they just don't get along. They're not really on the same wavelength right. or something. But I see a lot of that. And I think, you know, I became a professor in a lot of ways because I had a few key professors who encouraged me. to. Right. You know, who right. pulled me aside and said, hey, man, you're really good. I like your stuff. I really think you could go on to grad school and do really well for yourself. Here's how I did it. And if there's a lack of mentors, I mean, if there's so few black professors and they're so overburdened because a lot of white professors are glad to send black students to them specifically. Right. right. Um, and ask them, I can't even imagine February. And they're probably <laughs> doing, I mean, and they're probably doing what makes sense to them too. It's like, Hey, sure. look, I can't begin to try and understand your plight. Yeah. But I do have this guy in, you know, mm-hmm. in the engineering department that, you know, you, <laughs> he's a pretty cool guy. Maybe you need to talk to him and he yeah. would understand. And so you send them that way. But like you said, yeah, I mean, I can't be responsible yeah. for the entire black population on a university campus. Because and and why should you professor. be? Right? And why should I? I mean, be? there's plenty of white students that I just don't think are that great. And I don't want to work with, frankly. Mm. <laughs> there's plenty mm. I do and there's plenty I don't. Right. But I can't imagine that's going to be any different no matter what the color of your skin is. Right. 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 Students you get excited about because they're kind of on the same wavelength. You Correct. like their ideas. You seem to have read a lot of the same books and appreciate them correct and so i mean the idea that that you would send a black student to a black professor simply because because he was yeah yeah and then that gets into the monolith mentality that we just kind of talked about going back even to like the minstrel Mm -hmm. see and everything like that like yeah yeah yeah. you got you guys have that in common so it it should should work there's some synergy there sure you know what i mean (laughs) and so yeah 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 it's it's super deep man it's super deep and so I don't know. I would encourage No Name not to retire. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot even. Um, there's a, an R&B artist named Summer Walker. Okay. She's um, going through this thing with anxiety now. Mm-hmm. And um, she's getting like killed on um, social media over her um performances apparently they suck i don't know you know what i mean um but she had like a number one album this year she's like one of the biggest um r&b artists in the genre but you know her shows and she says she suffers from anxiety she um she canceled some like in stores and things like that she just these kids make music in their bedroom you know what i mean their mom's basement on their phone and um sure it goes out and then it streams a billion times and now it's like you're an artist mm-hmm. you get a boatload of money and you're you, now you need to go on tour yeah. these kids are, i got a 12 year old at home you have a, a 10 year old they're weird man <laughs> you know yeah coco's I mean, pretty cool but they live so much they, of their lives online it's, it's, so much of their social not, lives contact is not their thing and you know <laughs> That may be different, not even, yeah. even just generationally, but but where you come from and where I come from, yeah. I couldn't walk to anybody's house. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, until I could drive. I got a car when I was like 17. Right. My dad helped me buy one. He bought like a wreck and helped me fix it up, or he pretty much yeah. fixed it up, I should yeah. say. I, didn't, I wasn't much help. And from the time I could walk, I was You could go anywhere, I right? I was outside. Yeah. I felt so isolated. Like by the end of the summer, I would feel so awkward around people going back to school because I hadn't seen anybody but like my cousins, my right. sisters. Um, you know, I get back around kids my own age and feel like an alien. Yeah. So even growing up in such an isolated kind of rural community where I couldn't walk to friends' houses. And this was pre-internet when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, by the end of the summer, I would feel pretty damn weird getting out in front of people. I'd have to give like a... Mm a speech in seventh grade or something early in the year and just feel fucking terrified to get up yeah. in front of people. But yeah, you had to. I had Imagine to if you had this alternative where you could just yeah. go on your phone 
and just dive into this world. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of it, it that would just be, been amazing. And that would just be you know? easier to do. And you would never develop, you know what I mean, your public speaking skills oh, or yeah. your ability to interact with people. You would just sink into this world. And sure. I think that, you know, that has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, I'm sure it's just difficult mm-hmm. in of itself being around audiences and crowds. And then you get out there and it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't sign up for this. And that same mentality goes to why white folks kind of seek white folks to hang out with. Um, you're socially trained to, to do it, yeah. basically. I mean, it's the path of least resistance. Sometimes yeah. going out of your comfort zone is really difficult. Yeah. So yeah. if you grew up among white classmates, well, white friends. I would say more so for black kids because okay. there's, no, there's no need to even think about it if you're mm. your average white kid because your world is the world. the world we're the ones experiencing a different world yeah that i that you don't realize is different until you step into the quote-unquote real world there you go you know what i mean yeah. one of the um reasons why and don't beat me up hbcu people but one of the reasons because i love historically black colleges but one of the reasons why i didn't want to go is because i said i've been doing this my entire life I've been around black people my entire life. At some point in time, I'm going to walk out into this world and have to deal with the world. Mm. And I might as well get that going in college. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to step out at 21. Mm. And now it's like, oh, snap, white people got to talk to them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Got a deal. So I said, let me go to college. Yeah. Um, I picked a real black town. I said, I'm going to go to yeah. college in Philly. I'm not going to, you know, we're not, we're not going to go crazy. I'm not going to go. You're to, not going to do the SLC? Yeah, I'm not going to go to SLC. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no B, no BYU for me. Uh, but, um, yeah, let, let's get that over with as quickly as possible so that we adjust because we mm. know that that's the world we're going to have to deal with. But, um, you know, so our, our experience is unique because, you know, I come from or we come from a world that is like, Oh, it's a black world. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different world than the world. I mentioned this the first episode, but when, meanwhile, I was going to college in Kentucky, and neighbors really warned me, yeah. you know, oh, well, are you sure you want to go to school in Louisville? Right. You know, because there's a lot of black people. <laughs> right. And what's a lot? <laughs> a lot. You know, I, from what people said, I imagined I was going to get to the University of Louisville and be a minority. Mm. among the student body. It turned out, I think the student body was about 8% African-American. Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. What is, <laughs> what's a lot of money? And to, to my neighbors in a town where you rarely saw anybody who didn't look just yeah, like you as yeah. a white person, 50 8 was insane. a lot, man. Yeah, 50, 8%, 50, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. if one of them tries to talk to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are you going to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, I got so many talks from, from people who I assumed thought they were looking out for my interests. Yeah. But I think if I had had a single black teacher the entire time I went from kindergarten to senior year of high school, it might have changed a lot of things for me. Yeah. But I think what a lot of um, people and black people in general, but even more so than black people, I think what a lot of like coastal, Mm -hmm. you know, your typical liberal white person doesn't realize is that we have an entire country made up of just that the entire middle of our country is that yeah absolutely. and you have some people in california who are from california and you have your east coast people you know Mm. eastern northeastern corridor you gotta watch out for those white people and you know yeah and so and they think that that's the world. Oh, so, yeah. you know, that's you know, even politically and things like that. And it's like, how could this happen? Well, you've got 36 states where this sure. is this is the deal. <laughs> this is kind of how it works. <laughs> this is how this is their experience. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I mean, yeah, you, you know, you, 50 minutes west of here. Oh, yeah. It's Kentucky. <laughs> I don't even know if we have to drive quite that far. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're right. And even in Kentucky, you know, moving from small town Kentucky to the city of Louisville, which is, you know, a pretty big metropolitan area. You know, I saw right off the bat that it was still incredibly segregated. Sure, there were a lot of black folks living in Louisville, Kentucky, but neighborhoods tend to be overwhelmingly black or overwhelmingly white. 
Philly segregated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. I mean, you can't point to many American cities that aren't. Yeah. It's yeah. just kind of the design, yeah. right? Literally the design. The design. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, none of this happened by accident. Mm. So, yeah, again, I think white folks who want to say, well, I just didn't know, or I don't really think it's that big a deal, or let's not make this about race. It's always been about race. Always. Always. So I noticed, to me, no name is just about a polar opposite from this comment three years ago from Lil Wayne. <laughs> and this was only three years ago, and I haven't really seen people bring it up in connection to no name. But back in 2016, Lil Wayne was asked about a show he'd performed to a mostly white crowd. Okay. And he said that's evidence that there's no such thing as racism. To him. To him. Having a lot of white folks in his crowd, he said, my crowd has always been everybody. I look out, I see white faces and black faces. And that says to me, racism is over. Stop right there. Yeah. You know what that is? What is that? That is rich. Mm. I'd say the word if I was home. Privilege, rich black man privilege. Really? And that is having the bank account that puts you in a space where you can be a white person Hmm. in your mind. Interesting. Because what did he say? Racism doesn't exist because my shows. Yeah. And what did we say about those tweets that I read? Why are you personalizing? Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. But that's what happens when... Some black people acquire wealth. So this is rich black person privilege. Yes. That's an interesting way to put it. You yes. said you put it differently. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. You know, he went on to even say that he had never experienced racism. No, he doubled down. He doubled down. When people started to challenge the him, white, right? The white policeman saving his life. Yeah, and when he shot himself. Therefore, racism doesn't exist because mm. the white policeman saved his life. Now, doesn't he have a lot of verses where he describes the racism that he's encountered growing up in New Orleans? I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. He was born in a charity hospital, right? Um, Yeah, I think a lot of Lil Wayne's catalog describes the racism he's faced. So you think in 1961, if, you know, the Cobb County, Georgia police department um was dispatched to a home mm-hmm. and yeah you, know, you don't think they ever like bur- pulled a black person out of a burning building or <laughs> you know picked up like just like i don't like what does yeah. that have to do <laughs> with mm. racism because <laughs> you got saved True. by a white guy yeah he makes a lot about that bullet wound and i'm sure that white guy's a awesome dude sure it sounds sure like he's it, a right? great guy he's a hero he's I'm a lifesaver he could be racist too. Mm. He probably isn't. I'm just saying the two can coexist at the same time. You can it, it perform your duties. You think every <laughs> yeah. single racist cop ever was like, don't save that person. No. No, and again, you know, I think the guy probably was racist. I think, you know, racism is such a part of American mentality. And I mean, you really can't write yourself off as not a racist. And then again, what is racism? Yeah. So the cop making $40,000 a year on the job, he's probably not a racist. He might have prejudices and he has, sure. you know, he might be bigoted in some of his, he doesn't really, he can't be racist. Mm. The Fraternal Order of Police, a racist organization. Okay. <laughs> so we're looking at systems, organizations, not individuals. That's racism. That's racism. Yeah. Like you said, the void of the power, mm. it's just ignorance or hatred. But you know, a cop has a lot of power. Yeah, in that moment. Yeah. In that moment, sure. Yeah. I mean, say he encountered Lil Wayne as a 25 year old. Mm -hmm. It may have gone down very differently. A 25 year old who wasn't already on the ground with a gunshot wound, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, who's to say? I don't know anything about this policeman in particular, but I mean, the systems, the organizations, the roots of police departments in America, there's a lot of racism at play. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, Listening to an interview from, uh, you know, Dr. Umar Johnson. Yeah. Have you heard the name? Yeah, yeah of course you have. Um, and he was saying something to the effect of be careful because his fear, devoid of, you know, your Jesse Jacksons mm-hmm. and Al Sharptons and like your, you know, 
the people who used to speak for the black <laughs> race, you know, like, what do you think? Something happened to black people. What do you think? The, those the people? Yeah. And, you know, as problematic as that was. Yeah. It was Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and, you know, Andrew Young and men like that. And now it's Lil Wayne and Snoop Dogg. And sure. <laughs> so it's a level of celebrity, not necessarily. Your celebrity is now your black leadership. It's your credentials. And so we're going to bring Lil Wayne mm. on, you know, Undisputed or uh, yeah, he was on Undisputed, Skip Bayless' show. That's and we're going to have from, him yeah. speak to racism? In America, yeah. I don't want Little Wayne speaking <laughs> for black people on anything. Oh, I can't even imagine the white rappers racism. they might choose to speak for white folks. I don't know. You guys don't, I don't have that Iggy problem Azalea. because you guys don't need leadership. Doesn't happen, right? <laughs> oh, no one leads you guys. Yeah, I've never heard anyone ask any Asian person about the Asian experience and their take on what Asians should do Interesting. in America. Is, is the quote from Brian Stevenson, I believe, where he said that black America lost a generation of leaders, you mm. know, with Fred Hampton's assassination yeah. and Medgar yeah. Evers' assassination that, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, if you take out that whole generation of yeah. leaders, uh, certainly it's going to leave people scrambling. Oh, it's a gap. Right? It's a complete gap in time. I mean, these guys were in, 20s 30s sure you know what i mean so there was never any i mean fred hampton jr is an activist mm. in chicago but i mean he he was in his mother's womb when his dad was yeah. killed at 21 years so, old yeah so i mean there's no the legacy you know yeah. reared him i mean look at nipsey hustle mm -hmm. i mean his child was two yeah so he'll grow up hearing about and hopefully he's inspired but the actual rearing you're not going to have that leadership. You're not going to have, have that. the mentorship, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And you use the term, uh, or you said that white folks don't really, you, people aren't looking for the white leaders. Nobody uses that term, white leaders, no. because you just use leaders. It's right. Just, it's just because it's 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 your world. So again, whiteness <laughs> is is the default, and and that's that's the point. Yeah. So when there's any, uh, I don't know, pushback, resistance, mm -hmm. um. Against that, it becomes, how dare you? Or it becomes yeah. that in reverse. So this mountain of a thing, it's like, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm, I have like this castle on high, like this big thing, and you're building like a sand castle. And I'm like, why are you building that? That's too close <laughs> to my big castle. Exactly. Right? You're impeding on my... Yeah. Let's send you across town. Yeah. You can yeah. build a whole sandcastle yeah. colony. And why do you feel the need to build <laughs> your own sandcastle when you can just move in to my fortress? Okay. The fortress is here. Why do you want your own castle? I don't understand why you would want a sandcastle for yourself. Mm. Yeah, I guess I wonder if across time, historically, if white folks have really done much to invite black folks into that castle. Appear so, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe we did something. You We're know? back to that metaphor of the house. Never calling it a castle. <laughs> yeah. We had a guest yeah. in the castle. That's yeah. where we are now. Yeah, yeah. It may, it, may, it may just be our time, you know, our turn rather. You know. Yeah. Hmm. So we've talked about a lot so far in this episode. We haven't even got started, man. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going we to wrap it up. We might have to go part two on this Jump one. into part two on this yeah, one. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So yeah, No Name Just to Wrap Up says that she feels uncomfortable continuing to perform in front of predominantly white crowds, but yeah. she did not say, I don't want white fans. No. She did not say, I don't want white people at my shows. No. Um, and personally to- She to, did say, don't yell the word. Sure, she did say- yeah. <laughs> Please don't feel entitled <laughs> yeah. to come to my show and yeah. say this word in my face. Yeah. None of that to me speaks mm. of reverse no, racism. No, no, no. So, all right. That is a guest in the house episode three. No, not until we share. Oh, that's right. We wrap <laughs> and read at the end of the episode. It's, 
I forgot how this works. I should have let you. Um, I forgot I how this let works. you close because I completely don't have anything this uh, week. But anyway, I, I could read first if you want. While you think you of one, always read first. While I really think. see, yeah. I don't even remember how this works. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read a little piece from chapter one of my book, A Guest in the House of Hip Hop. And I think it speaks to a lot of the issues we talked about today. Cool. So, faced with vanilla ice in 1990, music journalist Havelock Nelson wrote, Rock and roll was black back in the days when it began. I don't know if rap in the year 2050 will be seen as white, but it damn sure could be. I didn't believe it could happen, but now halfway to 2050 with Iggy Azalea and Tom Hanks' rapper son and the scores of Scandinavian rappers, I'm starting to worry he may have been onto something. Mm-hmm. The catch-22 for white fans is that deeper participation tends to look more suspect. It's more okay to be a white guy who recognizes Jay-Z from Pictures in People magazine than it is to be a white guy who wants to parse Jay's lyrics and publish a book. Yet, backing away from black culture seems too easy a solution. After all, white people have been ignoring black culture for years. It's a problem that Elvis Presley got famous singing songs black artists had already recorded, but it's a bigger problem that so many Americans never heard those songs until Elvis sang them. An older white professor once clapped me on the back, and with a condescension that said, I'm so racially enlightened, I avoid black art entirely, (laughs) cracked a joke about a white guy teaching a rap course. He made jokes, but I bet he couldn't name 10 rappers. Mm. Could he name 10 black novelists? At one extreme, nobody wants an African-American studies department staffed entirely with white professors. At the other, nobody wants a white professor to leave James Baldwin off her American lit syllabus because she thinks white scholars shouldn't teach black art. White people shouldn't hide their silence behind the lofty ideal of avoiding cultural appropriation. But they also shouldn't speak on black issues with a casual overfamiliarity. Ice Cube called this white fans eavesdroppers back in 1993, but added that even though they're eavesdropping on our records, they need to hear it. Lord Jamar called white rappers house guests. Macklemore used the song to promote tolerance, saying, If I was gay, I would think hip-hop hates me. And Jamar took offense. Okay, white rappers, you are guests in the house of hip-hop. Just because you have a hit record doesn't give you the right, I feel, to voice your opinion. I found myself wanting to agree with Lord Jamar, a rap legend I once saw share a bill with Nice and Smooth on the deck of the battleship USS New Jersey, but I can't agree entirely when I get paid to voice my opinion. I wouldn't be much of a professor if I never said anything critical of my subject. I can't agree entirely when he's essentially complaining, we let a white guy into the party and he said we should let in gay people too. Don't push it too far, said Jamar. Those of y'all who really studied the culture that truly love hip-hop and all that, keep it real with yourself. You know this is a black man's thing. The paradox for the white hip-hop scholar is that to know hip-hop culture means to know it doesn't always welcome criticism from white professors. For me to accept this paradox is not to bind to the tired, old, nonsensical claims of reverse racism. First, the very fact that white people have to call it reverse racism reaffirms the direction the violence has flowed. There's no reverse bullying, reverse terrorism, or reverse rape. Second, it's not reverse racism. When a white professor makes his living teaching a course on a black cultural forum, where some of the black musicians say they'd prefer white step aside. Nice. Uh, you did that? Nice, nice. I want that to breathe for a second. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to do something different. Okay. I'm going to read... From Diddy Bop by No Name. Okay, let's hear it. All right, let's go. This sound like Mississippi Sippy Cup. Daddy turned Bibby up. Henny invented the catalyst for happiness in my cup. This sound like kitties on the playground with mama running up. Ooh, you about to get your ass beat. This sound like niggas complaining when their bitches like Rasby. That's probably the part that the um, white kids scream back. <laughs> this sound like niggas complaining when they're bitches like Raz B. B2K in the stereo, we juke in the back seat or juke in the basement in love with my K-Swiss. This feel like jumping in a pool and I'm knowing I can't swim. Ooh, you about to get your ass beat for stealing that $20 like baby just ask me. Mama say she love, love loved us. When the lights was off, we, we had to stay with cousins. Granny at the barbecue with petty-ass husband. Summertime, city life, shot town my town, my town. After school matters, like I'm needing that stipend right now. 
Kennecott parking lot caught with the blunt like wow wow. That's first verse of Diddy Bop by No Name. Yeah, I mean, puts a little bit of this into perspective. Yes, it does. Interesting. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So that's a wrap for us, man. Guest in the house, Professor Mickey Hess. Trom Diggs. Rapper Trom Diggs. See you next time. Absolutely. Absolutely.